G'day listeners, welcome to the Braintainment Podcast. This show is an interesting mix between pop culture and personal development with a very wide range of guests that come on the show for a chat from the sports space, philosophy, health and fitness, entertainment and everything in between. The idea is to entertain or to educate you guys and hopefully sometimes both, either through just myself or with the guests that come on the show as we explore different ideas and concepts and have some really interesting conversations. The mission with the Brain Taming Podcast is to raise a million dollars, and that all starts with uh, building an audience and a platform. So thank you for tuning in. Our goal is to raise a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research. So if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and family, and be sure to subscribe. With that said, strap in and enjoy this episode. Okay, welcome back to the Brain Taming Podcast. A special episode today. Uh, it's a pilot episode of the video platform, so hopefully all goes to plan. Um, it's an exciting one, though. We're joined by Genoa Van Keckham. Is that how you pronounce that, mate? Yeah, you've done all right. There we go. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, meditation and mindset facilitator. We're just chatting off air. Um, I was super pumped to get someone in this space to come on for a chat, and I couldn't think of anyone better. Uh, if you've been listening to this show in recent episodes, you know that meditation, mindfulness is a space that um, I've become increasingly interested in to increase my own sense of calm and creativity and things of that nature, but also to help optimize uh, my output, my performance, which I'm sure Janelle will talk a bit about uh, today. You'll also know that I'm really all about kind of blending personal development with pop culture and making the conversation of learning and stuff like that more prevalent, more cool and more easy to digest. And I think that's what this guy does really, really well. He's the perfect fit for this show. Um, that said, he has had over well over three years of daily practice under his belt with meditation. And then undertook another 18 months of study and further daily advanced meditation. Some of the businesses he's worked with uh, in the corporate space include Red Bull, Time Out, Salesforce, Ray White, just to name a few. Um, so as much as he's a super genuine and, and relatable guy, he really knows his stuff. And um, we're going to dive into a pretty important conversation today, but also have a lot of fun. So, mate, with that said, welcome to the show, Janard. Mate, thanks for uh, having me. Look forward to a, a chat with your kind of approach. <laughs> I mentioned at the top there, I do really like your style. Um, I think it allows more and more people to connect with you um, and then encourage them to kind of dip their toe in the water of meditation, I suppose, particularly if they're first timers, so to speak. On your website, mate, I really enjoyed this. This is kind of what drew me to you in the first place. It actually reads, hello, I'm a meditation and mindset facilitator. One thing I'm not is a spiritual guru levitating around in a robe, although I do have the legs for it. And Mate, as much as I've got all the time in the world for the spiritual space as well, um, I immediately get the vibe that you're approaching this, this world of meditation from a very kind of tangible point of view, I suppose. So I guess to kick things off, the whole conversation of meditation, is this something that everyone um, should be incorporating into their life in some capacity? Yeah, well, that's the thing is, so, you know, prior to learning um, to meditate, I was very anti and not open to anything that I deemed as, as spiritual. And unfortunately it just didn't allow me to uh, try anything or try meditation for, for a long, long time. And then when I finally did it, I was like, ah, this shit actually works. Like you don't have to be caught up in the spiritual world. And I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritual to an extent, um, but that is kind of irrelevant. You can use this practice and it just works no matter what you believe in. And, you know, over four to five decades now worth of, you know, Western science and a shitload of personal experience from people now just puts it up there as the forefront of um, up living how you experience uh, the world 
and also helping us to um, remove a lot of the things that are, you know, stopping us from having, a, you know, whether it's, you know, higher level of performance at work or being, you know, more happier and engaged in your relationship, whatever that may be. And, and, and meditation now is just like, it's a standard thing that I believe and from the research I've done that if everyone were to meditate, things would really, really shift. So, I mean, you're right. The, the big aim for me is around just normalizing it. And so people are like, yeah, yeah, it's like I meditate and be open about it. It's like, you know, I'm interested in performance. So I meditate, not I'm weird and woo-woo. So I meditate. That's kind of the, the shift that I'm trying to, um, Welcome. Yeah, man, I completely get it. Um, so for you then, what, tell us a little bit about your story. So then how, how do you first get into this world of, uh, of meditation? I've heard you talk in a couple other shows and, and um, just sort of diving into your world, I suppose. And I played a bit of footy growing up. So how do you kind of go from that culture, I suppose, and then um, start dipping your toe in the waters of, of meditation? What's your story? Well, it's a bit of luck. So, you know, I grew up uh, around playing a lot of sport. And I, you know, talk about quite openly that for me, uh, my level of validation uh, came from being good at sport and being good with girls, right? As a bloke growing up. And so I place a lot of effort and emphasis on those things. And they're all very externally validating things of how good you are and all that sort of the rest. And also, funnily enough, in, you know, because I was so attached to those things, I developed level of anxiety around those things right so i would feel like physically ill like i wanted to vomit before games of footy or before like i was a good sprinter before a race i'd want to physically vomit and i'd actually would hope i'd miss the start because i was so anxious about that sort of stuff similar with dates i was like you know i wanted to vomit sometimes before dates like that's not really cool and, and powerful is it and i went through life this way and then obviously used alcohol as, as, a, as a great number and that gave me so-called confidence and that's how I navigated my life for, for a long time. And I was quite ego driven. And a lot of these things I didn't realize till afterwards, till you look back at hindsight. And so being not at all open-minded and very much, you know, based around this external validation, I uh, thought these things were just what you dealt with as a human being, right? You just push through as a bloke and you talk up the good stuff. And, you know, that's kind of how it was. And, that's as far as I went. Anyone would say, if anyone said something to me that didn't align with the way I thought about things, I'd tell you to get fucked. And I was pretty, you know, direct uh, with that. And so I'd spent some time in corporate. I was a tradie for a little while, you know, commercial landscaping. I managed a bar. I was in hospital for a bit. I studied a couple of degrees. I did a master's in commerce in the end. And then I ended up working in, in corporate for a little bit and then moved to my, my longest role, which is working as a state manager for an alcohol company in Sydney. And it was by luck that I actually, one of my clients were meditators and they were just normal in my view, right? They still drank alcohol and ate meat and the guy was a surfer, you know, and they were just really high performers and operating this really high creative level. And I was really attracted to them. I was like, wow, these people are cool. And they just own the fact they meditate. And they were like, the guy was like, man, I just wish I'd learned this when I was younger. Like, this is just such an epic technique. And then I started researching performance and high performers around the world. And there was a common thread again, meditation, mindfulness. I was like, okay, if, you know, these guys are acting this way and it can be normal and all the high performers around the world, a lot of them are, you know, using these techniques, maybe I should look into it. And I just kind of learned based on, on that. And it's kind of, it's still, I was very resistant, but intuitively there was something else I was like, mate, get out of your own way, do it. Because I knew there was a, 
there was more. I was like, there's got to be a better way of living. I've, I reckon my potential is up here and I'm down here right now, but what do I do? I had no idea. And that was sort of what was also just prodding me in the back end. It's just try it, mate. Like it's, and so I did. And that was about seven or eight years ago that I learned to meditate. And then I just stuck to it because I'm pretty decent when I say I'm going to do something and also invest money in something. I committed to it and I just stuck to it every day. And then things started to shift. I was like, Oh, and then I started to realize a lot of one of the biggest shifts is around awareness, right? And this is the big, um, big part around emotional intelligence, which is really, really important. If you aren't aware of anything, how do you change anything? If you're not aware of situations and people and whatever's going on, it makes it really hard for you to um, be expansive and, and, and engaged and creative and, and perform sort of up, up here. So a big part of that for me was around, oh, wow. I started picking up on triggers and things that I was doing. And then my anxiety was just like pretty much disappeared. Like I used to have to put headphones in my ears and watch a movie or something to go to sleep. Cause I couldn't cancel the thoughts in my mind. Right. And I drank a lot and all the rest and, and which, you know, drinking's fine. I still drink, but there was a different reason behind my drinking there. And, um, and so my world started shifting and then I started operating up here and then up here and then up here. And then I also asked people like my parents and close friends, like, oh, do you think I've changed much? And they're like, yeah, man. And I'm like, right. You know, yeah, it was just total, like my relationships have gotten juicier and I'm just a better bloke, you know what I mean? Like just all around. And I'm operating at a high level, you know. And I even look at pictures now, like from me versus eight years ago, I look so much better now than I do back then. And so I was like, I'm just feeling. And so that started happening to me. And then I looked around in the world of meditation teachers and 98% of them, none of my mates would have learned from, right. They were all maybe a little bit too purist or, you know, too, in my opinion. So maybe a little bit too purist or overly spiritual, or there was a level of hierarchy and the guru-ness going on. And I was like, no wonder none of my mates are learning because I still don't understand what meditation is. And a lot of the people that are um, working in the space aren't all that relatable I, I wouldn't say and so that was what kind of and then I was like oh and it always just something about it always intrigued me I was like oh, maybe I could become a teacher no, no 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 and then one day an opportunity came up and I saw my teacher was putting together it was offering a course which is an 18 month course to become a, a teacher and and the, the specific style that I was practicing and, and study is called Vedic meditation which, work, which works with mantras and so I was like this is what I want to do. Like I moved from working in the alcohol industry and looking to launch my own distillery. And I was like, nah, and then, and shifted to this and I studied and then did lots of heavy, like more advanced practices to obviously stabilize my nervous system. And that brought me into becoming a, a teacher, which I've now been doing for the last, uh, just over three years, I think. And about 18 months ago, I actually resigned from my, you know, job with booze company just to be doing this, uh, full time. So that was the, uh, That's awesome. Mate, I love that. that. Yeah, super relatable. There's a lot to unpack there. And for me, mate, I reckon the, the couple of takeaways um, as to, I guess, what drew you to meditation in the first place, very similar to myself and with conversations that I've had with people on this show, but also off air, seemed like a bit of a common thread. And for me, that's really twofold. One is to help alleviate these symptoms of anxiety, particularly when they're unnecessary. Obviously, as a human being, you know, we're, um, we're wired a certain way. There's going to be some levels of anxieties and it can be good in some circumstances, but 
a lot of those times, and you touch on a few stories there, whether it was with girls or footy or whatever. And again, I can relate. I know people listening will too. Um, yeah, th- there's an unnecessarily, unnecessarily high level of anxiety and it plays out in all different ways. So for me, that was, that was a big draw card for just looking into this idea of meditation, what it could do to kind of relieve some of those symptoms, I suppose, or the stress of anxiety. And the second part was, how can I actually become a better performer? And I like how you said that there's a couple of people that you saw that were um, performing at a high level and you thought, okay, what are they doing that, that I'm not? And being able to see that as an opportunity. So for me, I think that's really twofold. The, the um, reducing the stress and the anxiety, but then also being able to optimize my performance. I think that's huge. So I guess for people listening then that are considering uh, this idea of maybe trialing meditation, um, before we talk about best practices, let's just dive a little bit further into what some of the benefits are. So we've mentioned some there, the anxiety, the, the performance. Um, is there any sort of biological, like what's happening when we're meditating? Like uh, let's maybe start with the basics. Um, yeah, if, I'm, yeah. if, if I'm someone going, why the hell should I care about this stuff? Um, how can we help them understand that this is a really powerful tool? Let's start there. Perfect. So we, the way our bodies operate is we accumulate stress, fatigue, tension, all experiences that we have. Every time we flip into anxiety or flip into stress, that leaves a chemical memory in the cells of our bodies, right? And our whole life of connecting, right? Over our years up until now. And this creates the nervous system printout of why you and I will look at the same thing and you'll see it as stressful and I'll see it as an opportunity. It's based on our conditioning and a little bit of genetics. But to be honest, in a lot of these things, a lot of it is is conditioning that we can sort of shift over, over, over time. So we accumulate this and our bodies naturally process, you know, stress, emotions, feelings by feeling. We've also become a society that we aren't very good at feeling, right? We're all up in our heads, especially as blokes. We're not, we don't feel. I remember like you're a pussy, you're a bitch, don't be a soft cock. And I remember at footy, I had, remember having like an injury and being told by some of the older footy players, he's got to push through that, mate. Like just, so I was being trained to dis- disattach from my body and my head and just push through mentally. And so that translated into everything, you know, and it wasn't cool to be the soft, sensitive guy in, in high school, was it, right? And so as human beings, when we feel things, that's our body processing. And what we do is we numb, booze, sex, porn, drugs, being busy, whatever it is. We suppress, we just push it away. And we escape by doing some of those similar things as, as, as well. And so our bodies are just like accumulating and building up all this stress and tension that we're not able to um, launder. And going for a run or punching on a boxing bag isn't going to release that stress in the system, right? That is great for the body. Um, and especially for us, it's easy. Yeah, I'm going to go release some stress. It's like, okay, but you're also putting your body under stress and acting your body to recover from that. And so there's a deeper, um, deeper level of accumulation like energetically in the cells of our bodies, right? Now, all of us as human beings, we also have a potential of operating performance, right? Whether that is your creativity at work, whether it is your ability to, you know, be engaged and put in a good performance with your partner at home or in the, in the bedroom, whether it's, you know, how um, fun you are and relaxed you are with your friends, you know, whether it is how, you know, sharp you can be doing numbers, whatever it is, that's all performance potential. But then there's our actual performance, right? So all of us when we're at our best, say we're a nine out of 10, how often and how regular are we operating at nine out of 10? For a lot of us, we're sitting down at sixes, fives. Some days we drop to a four. You know, maybe we hit a nine for a couple of hours here and there. Now, the, the barriers 
to our current, where we are now and where we want to be are the accumulation of stress, fatigue, tension, mental distractions. And that's piling up over our systems. When we go to bed at night, our bodies do a little bit of processing, right? You know, you go to bed, your body rests a little bit. It releases some of the stress out of your system. The next day you wake up a little bit better. Your body's also processing a bit of stuff during the day. But when your body starts processing feeling, we tend to, ah, don't like this, have a coffee, get busy, do something else. And we push it back down again. And what's happening is because the amount of stimulus we're, ex we're exposed to now, just in like one day, outweighs our body's ability to process, we're waking up the next day with debt, right? So you look at how like biologically, right, our bodies, you know, evolve to deal with the environment. The environment has sped up for us so quickly, maybe since the industrial revolution, a couple hundred years, but in the last 50 and even the last 10 with technology and social media, our bodies haven't had a few hundred thousand years of evolution to keep up with this. This is why we are now a society that are, everyone's either anxious, depressed, can't sleep, you know, got negative thoughts, whatever it might be, right? It's so common. And, you know, it's something that now as a human being, we are just, ex we're just experiencing and it's become too much. So what meditation does, and again, there are different types that engage the mind in different ways, but the type that I work with, with the mantras uh, is designed to engage the mind in a certain way. So there's a symbolic relationship between the mind and the body, right? So when it engages the mind in a certain way, by using these sound vibrations, they're not affirmations or, or meanings. It allows the body to get into a state of rest because most of the days we're in, we're in survival mode, right? For most of us, it's like, right, survive, challenge, you know, perform, blah, blah, all this sort of stuff. We don't get a chance to really rest. And so what happens is we get ourselves into a state where our body responds by de-exciting, the nervous system de-excites. We stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and repair response. And our body has innate intelligence, right? Think about it. Like when you get a cut or you get an injury, your body tends to heal that by itself, right? It does things without us telling it to do it. And so when our body's in a level of balance, it has amazing intelligence and it can do some pretty amazing stuff. And so when we move out of survival and into this rest mode and um, our bodies are able to finally work on the stuff that it needs to do, it can start releasing and processing some of this buildup of stress and fatigue, you know, i.e., the barriers to our increased performance. And this is why meditation is so potent and um, so important for all of us, simply if you're a human being, whether you're feeling stressed or not, if you're a human being in this world, you are experiencing and taking on more than your bodies can process uh, at the moment. And that's the basics of trying to keep it not too long. <laughs> that hey, that's too awesome. Hey, that, I, dude, I could geek out for hours about this stuff. I really could. Um, yeah, it's super interesting. And it's funny, like the paradox of what we're talking about is like I find a lot of the, and we'll talk about setbacks and hurdles to getting into meditation, starting practice in a minute. But it's like one of the hurdles is generally I'm too busy. I've got this going on. And, you know, you mentioned that we jump, we race to the coffee or, or you know, a beer or a glass of wine, whatever it is to, to feel, to feel a certain way, right? We're trying to change our state. And then also, you know, um, we go, 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 go. And I got no beef with that. Like I'm super ambitious and, you know, I'm all about you know, setting goals and the worthy pursuit of goals is intrinsically rewarding. But um, the paradox is taking the time out to meditate. Not only do we change our state, which is what we're trying to do when we, we do all these vices that we all have. Um, but then also this go, go, go mentality. It's almost counter counterintuitive to some extent 
when you you know when you run into fatigue and you and you cook for three days and you and yeah. you can't bounce and you just you wasted instead of taking the 10 15 20 minutes whatever it is we'll talk about practices in a moment um taking that time out to then okay reset and then go hard again like it's an interesting paradox i think a lot of people miss um so it's good to hear you talk about what's actually taking place so we can start to i guess conceptualize um why this really is an important daily practice that people um, should have in their life, you know, to some extent. So you mentioned Vedic meditation there. Let's talk about the different types. So if someone's listening, they're going, this all sounds fucking cool. Where do I start? Um, where do you start? What are the different types of meditation? Uh, Cause I know there's a few different, it's not just one, you know, one yeah. practice. What are the different types? And um, talk to us a bit more about the Vedic uh, meditation style that I know you're a, a big advocate of. Yeah, so meditation is literally like the word exercise, right? So you want to go exercise, what do you want to do? How do you want to engage the body? What did, do you want to achieve at the end of it, right? So, you know, if you have a really, um, you know, bad, bad back and you need to be quite gentle, whatever it is, you don't want to go and do CrossFit, you know, or, you know, you might hate um, and or really not want to um, lose too much weight and and want to keep bulking up you're not going to just go do endurance running right so same with meditation it's an overarching banner term for different practices and as in and techniques that engage the mind in, in certain ways so i would i would define meditation mostly as a mental practice um, but there are different techniques that engage the mind in different ways and thus have different outcomes so there are and to try to there's it's there's a lot going in there to be like me trying to explain exercise and in general. So to break it down, there are sort of two main categories. I like to break meditation into, and there's the non-directive and the directive. So the directive styles of meditation is where you see like your concentration and your contemplation styles of meditation. So you're actively trying to maybe place some awareness on your thoughts, or maybe you're trying to visualize something, or maybe you're trying to focus and concentrate on, a flame or the end of your nose or your breath and it's like single pointed focus right so they're using effort a lot of these techniques are aligned to the mindfulness styles of meditation so mindfulness itself is not meditation mindfulness is the practice of being present in the moment and there are meditation techniques that help you achieve this but being mindful itself for example is something we can all do every day you know how often are we actually mindful when we're drinking a cup of coffee what does it taste like? What does it smell like? You know, are you here? Are you half sipping it, half running email, half checking Instagram? You know, we're not mindful and we're, we're decreasing our attention span as well. So this sort of, these practices can be great for helping with your focus. Pretty much all the apps that you see out there are shades of these styles of meditation. And they are, I would sort of classify them as mostly sort of watered down, tweaked versions of practices that were used by monks. And, you know, so the most power you and, and impact you get from these is by doing them for longer periods of time and as much as you can. They're really easy to sort of guide people through and learn quite quickly, but probably harder to master and get really advanced results from. So they're really, can be pretty, really easy ones just to drop into here and there and easy to get your head around. And most of the apps are shades of, of this style. So just think they're active. So there's some sort of effort going on. They're great for calming you at a point in time. So the stress in the now, so you're like feeling a bit, all right, I'm just a bit, you know, a bit anxious and overwhelmed. I'm quickly doing a two minute 
guided calming meditation, do a, a visualization, whatever that might be. The other main category is the non-directive. So meaning um, you're not trying, or there's not as much effort, it's not as active. And these are, these are techniques, mainly Vedic, and if you've heard of TM or Transcendental, they're, they're, that's a similar type of meditation, um, which they both are very, very similar. And they use mantras, which are not, they don't have meaning. They're not sound and they're not um, affirmations or it's not like I am powerful or whatever it is. They're just literally a sound vibration. And in quantum physics, which is what I love how now um, science is unraveling the Eastern philosophy. We've got 5,000 years of plus of Eastern philosophy. And now we've got Western science going, Oh yeah, Albert Einstein was onto something here. Yeah. There's still no as soon as, as, soon as it's printed in Western literature, people are like, oh, okay, now, now I see what you're saying there. It's a thing. And I, I'll, you know, I won't go down the whole pathway of, you know, the economy and, and pharmaceuticals. And if we're, we're learning something that we don't need to buy ongoing pills to put in our system and something that we can just do without anything, that's not ideal for a lot of big companies, right? So there's a level of research that's sort of done and then also not, not done. But, the way the body works is, you know, everything is energy, right? That was the thing that was one of Albert Einstein's quotes. Energy is everything is energy, right? You know, everything is um, energetic vibration, you know, at the subatomic uh, level, you know, the unified field is the idea that everything is connected and everything is energy vibration. So each, all of our body operates a certain energetic frequency, right? You know how glass, right? You can shatter glass at, when you play sound at a certain vibration. You're not touching it. So if you think about that, you know, a dog can hear a certain frequency of, of mm. a whistle. We don't hear, but it's still there, you know, and traditionally they'd use different sounds and uh, music and mantras to heal certain parts of the body at vibrational levels. So what happens is the world throws us out of balance and these mantras engage the mind in a certain way to go beyond the relative thinking. So that's the ego and the negativity and the resentment and the worry and the, what keeps, you know, the choppy mind that we all navigate every day that keeps us up here. So the mantra engages the mind and what it does is you just whisper the mantra, it's like mantra, mantra, and you drop below just for even for a minute or a second. And when your mind goes beyond that, it almost gets that state of rest. It's like, ah, oh, we're not trying to in survival, navigate the world. And this is when the body relaxes and all that juice and processing of the old buildup of stress and fatigue can happen. So these techniques are designed to work off the old built up stress and fatigue. And so, um, fundamental is that they are not concentration. A lot of people define this style as concentration technique, which it's not. It's just like a, it's why it's taught in a lot more detail. It's actually normally taught in person over a few days because there's understanding. It's like a, almost a, uh, the concept of surrendering to it. So you're just literally whispering the mantra inside the mind and it's doing this amazing thing um, that it does and getting your nervous system to a state of rest. And so that is kind of the, the, the two main categories of, of how they fit into. So I look at, you know, the, the mantra, the Vedic is like this daily practice that you just do every day and it okay. keeps doing its work. And it's designed to put your body in a state to do the work. So um, it helps the body in a sense that it's not always going to feel nice and beautiful and calm and deep. And you're still thinking and often it feels uncomfortable because your body's doing the work. So you can feel better when you're outside of the meditation. Does that make sense? It's Absolutely. not designed to be beautiful. Yeah. A lot of people try meditation like, oh, this is uncomfortable. Get me out. Uh, uh. It's because there's stuff processing. We don't like feeling discomfort. Yeah. So when you, that's within your system. So when you allow your body to do that work once or twice a day, it allows you to bring a better version of you to the world outside of the meditation. 
Yeah, it's just touching on that point. We're just highlighting there. Like, I think that's where people, certainly for myself, anyway. Um, the at the start of my meditation journey, so to speak, it was very much like hearing all this and having you know, being a part of these sort of conversations that you and I are having now. It's like, fuck yeah, I need to really get, I see how this is going to really improve my life. I'm going to, you know, feel better. But then you sit down and then it's like, oh, fuck, what's going on here? Like you're, just, you're stuck with this, whether it's emotions or whether it's just your body, you know, in pain or whatever it might be. Um, I think that's where people uh, maybe don't keep up the daily practice because the first sort of couple of times they're trialing, a meditative practice, they don't like it. They don't immediately feel go, oh, it doesn't work or oh, it's, it's not for me or things of that nature. Um, so let's talk about, I guess, the, um, the rate of turnaround to start kind of experiencing these benefits. Like, is it, can it be something that is instantaneous? Is it something that needs to be um, executed in terms of a practice daily for a certain period of time before you reap any benefits? Like, does it vary depending on the person? What are some important things to consider, you know, by way of um, the benefits coming to you in certain time periods, if that makes sense? So it's very much a case by case, depending on your nervous system and your experience of life and my nervous system and your nervous system. It's very different. But most people find when they learn this style of technique, they'll feel a bit of a shift. Now, that initially might be a good shift or a bad shift. Some people will learn and within the next day, they're like, wow, I just feel so much calmer and I'm not as negative and I'm more creative and I, just, I can sleep for the first time in you know, two years properly. And, well, and then some people will experience initially some stress release. And so stress release doesn't feel great. So but that's stuff that's stored in your system that is going to accumulate and going to manifest into disease, mental issues down the track at some point or overreaction. So you're allowing this like, it's almost like imagine having a, shaken up bottle of, you know, lemonade and every day just like shh, 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 slowly releasing the pressure. That doesn't, doesn't always, always, um, you know, doesn't always feel good. And so it can be different. It can be a bit of an uncomfortable sort of feeling initially, but I'm always very wary of giving, I don't give deadlines to people because I've had some people that like in the first week they fly and they're like, hell yeah, this is the best thing ever. And then some people who go through the discomfort for a few months, and it's like a bit grindy. They're like, yeah, I feel better, you know, but sometimes meditation is really off and they're resisting it. And I just want to get out of it. And I'm like, stick with it, stick with it. And then it sort of integrates to like, oh yeah, I get it. So it's, it's, it's can be very different. Um, but again, and in a similar way to exercise is you can't just have a weekend or meditate for two weeks. I exercise for two weeks. I think you're going to be shredded for the next six months. Mm. Right. It's consistency has got to be the, the, the kicker. And, and we're also, externally we are constantly being bombarded with to make you happy fulfilled confident sexy whatever it is you need to go buy something externally yeah so we're also navigating that's how we're conditioned every single thing we're now is so heavily and they use psychology of course to you know hit our desires and, and needs and wants as human beings and we we feel it's we only way we get that is by enter external thing here. And so it's very hard for us to then also have that and then have this uncomfortable thing going on. Yeah. You know, oh, this doesn't feel good, but that if I just buy that, oh, maybe I'll feel better. And so it's also, that can be really difficult for us to, to move through as well. Have you seen, uh, just to derail a little bit, but have you seen this, um, The Social Dilemma on Netflix? 
Yeah. So I I feel like we just riff on that for hours, but that's really interesting. I mean, I think we all know, like obviously social media is designed a certain way, but just to your point about, you know, psychology working against us sometimes when there's people in labs basically designing apps and programs and advertisements to fucking pull it, the, you know, the dopamine spikes and things of that nature, you know, we get stuck in this trap. So I think even if it's just to kind of escape from that for a minute, these meditative practices are a good way just to real, to take stock of like what is and what isn't important and not get stuck in that fight or flight kind of um, sympathetic nervous system you touched on earlier, not get stuck there, which is easy to do when you're um, glued to social media. So I feel like that's a whole other can of worms, but yeah, it's interesting doco, isn't it? It is. And, it, and the interesting thing is, is that we're all under this illusion that, you know, we all just want happiness and love really. Mm, right? Yeah. And we're under the illusion that we're going to get that by someone or something else. And, you know, you get that little, that dopamine hit of that person you like texting you. It's like, oh yeah, you know, whatever that might be, you know, or the, the hit of like purchasing something that we, you know, have wanted for a while, but also during meditation, what we're doing is our bodies are releasing those bliss chemicals as well. So they're releasing, you know, serotonin and, and, and dopamine in the body while we meditate. So also what we're doing is we're relearning that we can feel better without the external. Does that make sense? So we're starting to also retrain yeah. ourselves. Like, because whenever you finish meditation, no matter what goes on in the meditation, I guarantee you, you know, 95% of the time, you're always going to feel like, I just feel better. And that is your body's like, oh, I didn't do anything except for just sit here and yeah. say something weird in my mind and I feel better. So we're also relearning that it's like, we have access to this internally. There's something really powerful um, about being able to change your state with no, with nothing else other than you. Right. So I think that's the more, and I'm far from, you know, um, like I'm very much an infant in my kind of meditative journey and self self you know, improvement journey, or whatever you want to call it. But there's something like the, there's something alluring and intoxicating about being able to just sit and change your state at any moment it might take a couple of minutes and obviously over time you get better and you train your nervous system and all these there's all the other variables and factors but yeah i think for me that's one of the big draw cards as to why i can try to continue my practice is this idea of being powerful and, and funnily enough like what's i guess but quite a passive practice for me i'm really attracted by the powerful nature of it if that kind of makes sense i think that's a really interesting um yeah, I'm just sort of I'm just thinking out loud now. Something I've just on this in this moment realised that is a real um, draw card for me with meditation. It is, mate. When you can, you know, you, you develop a, a level of mastery around mm. your own mind and body because you're like you start being more aware of what's going on. And if you can shift, you're like, oh, here we go. I mean, I can feel myself in this state. You can use techniques to shift out of it, or at least you know what it feels like to be out of that state. That's how you cultivate resilience, and that is power. And you're 100% nailed it on the head there where there's so, you know, slightly more flowy, soft technique, which works at a deeper level. Like that deep level of um, power and resilience comes, you know, from within. And that's what we're cultivating here um, every day. Mm. Another thing as well, you said, that I just want to highlight, is you said you don't like to put time frames on things. And again, it's probably another can of worms we could dive into, but I was just listening to, so I guess, we won't derail too much, but I love hip hop music, right? So Russ is one of my favorite uh, favorite artists. Anyway, he actually has this audio book that he put out, or like a book, um, and it's fucking awesome. Anyway, one of his quotes in it is, trust the what, fuck the when, and never forget the why. I think it's just a really useful kind of um, 
quite, I suppose, to apply to all arenas of life, particularly what we're talking about here, right, is just trust the white ladies. Not only is there all this recent science coming out about the powerful benefits of meditation, but if, like you like you alluded to, you know, the thousands of years prior to that in, in Eastern philosophy. Um, so know that this stuff is important and it works. As for when it doesn't really matter, like continue the daily practice. That's how I would interpret that. And remember the why. Well, increase performance, feel better. And, you know, a lot of stuff I talk about in this show is our North star, our sort of guiding light should be to feel good, right? Above all else, everything else is strategy, whether it's going after the career, you know, the, 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 the woman or the man that you're interested in, uh, what the, any sort of goal, like it's all just strategy to feel a certain way. That's how I like to look at the world anyway. So uh, anyway, I digress. <laughs> it is because the, you know, it's a really good point. Often I talk to people about this is like, just go, whenever you feel, off, feel like you're about to fall off the wagon or you're like, nah, stuff, this is like, just go back to why you're doing this again. Like, yeah, you know, for you and also for others, because the way you bring yourself to the world affects your partner, your friends. And one of the biggest shifts to me is how much less of an arsehole I am, to be honest, mm. um, which was a bit of a slap in the face to realize how much I could be, but I would have kept being that way if I hadn't, I mean, obviously you, you mature a little bit anyway, but there's a level of, 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 of shift and often people like, well, you don't know how it's going to take me. So what? I might be meditating for, you know, it might take me two months to feel a benefit. I'm like, that two months is coming any, that two months is coming anyway. Right. In two months time, do you want to be here? Or do you want to be still down here, mate? It's very simple. You know, when you look at it that way. Yeah, mate, I love that. And I reckon that is huge. I'm glad we're really harping on this a little bit because it's like, it's so easy to sit down for five, 10, 15 minutes to start this, to start a practice and not, and kind of, you know, sit in the discomfort and go and write it off. Uh, but mm. like you said, the times the time is passing anyway, um, and you're pretty you're going to be pretty hard pressed to have to to get up from a meditation and feel worse, yep. right? Like it, it it almost always has a positive or at worst neutral kind of effect, mm. and then as over time, you know, over time, um, you know, it's almost always going to be positive. So. I think it's really important to see it through. Um, where should people start? So is, it, is there a certain time uh, or duration that their meditative practice should go for? And also, is there a particular time of the day uh, that is you know, better? Or again, is that just um, based on the individual? Well, it kind of depends. I mean, where to start is an interesting one. It kind of depends what you're willing to commit to. So if you're looking at it and you're like, you know, oh, I can't even take you know, five minutes to myself a day, maybe jumping to something where it's twi 20 minutes twice a day is a bit too big a jump for you off the bat. Um, so maybe you start with something that's, you know, a little bit easy to integrate. Maybe it's five minutes, you know, twice a day. Maybe it's an app. But what I find also is that when there's less skin in the game, you know, less investment in time, less investment in money, you tend to like it easier. Obviously, the impact's going to be less. Like you're not going to get as much impact from doing an app five minutes a day as you are from meditating and that say Vedic 20 minutes twice a day. So there's also a chance that you might often 90% of my clients are people who've tried an app who are skeptical, who've like dabbled in it at the end of yoga and have, haven't really felt much or struggled to can, to be consistent. They're like, all right, I want to do something that actually fucking works and I can stick to. And so in the sense of, you know, where to start, I'd, I'd recommend getting a, like someone to teach you. I mean, an app is a good way to get a bit of a feeling of it because it's cheap, easy and accessible anywhere, but then being taught to be self-sufficient. So I teach you to become self-sufficient example. So you don't ever need to plug into an app again, which we have to do is close your eyes. So I would look at 
finding someone to teach you just like, you know, me exercising by watching a video and doing it at home, isn't really going to help me versus going to a class and getting someone to explain to me, Oh, that's how I'm lifting wrong. I didn't realize that. I thought I was doing it right. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and in terms of like timing, the best time is in the morning. So you start the day because the way you start the day is often how you carry yourself through the day. So starting your day from that place of being calm and grounded is a really, really good way to start. And then the best time for the second one is, you know, about halfway through your day. So literally you, you wake up, you set yourself up. The day sucks the life out of you in a certain way. You're feeling a bit fatigued and flat. You meditate again in the afternoon, give yourself another recharge. Like I don't drink coffee. I love coffee. I don't drink it in the afternoon after about, one or two o'clock because I go to sleep. I can't sleep otherwise. So yep. instead of having my coffee at three and not be able to sleep till two a.m., I now meditate and that's my recharge. So you know, I'd recommend if you want to commit to it, like give it a proper crack. You know, ten minutes. Start with ten minutes in the morning. Yep. You know, and um, morning, and then if you can, try a second one in the afternoon and and try to accountability is probably the biggest battle for people. So maybe you get a teacher or, or something like that. Yeah, I agree, mate. And I like the exercise analogy because it's very, um, very relatable. It makes a lot of sense. And it's like the same way that if you get trained the right way from the start, you're just going to execute so much more effectively, more efficiently. You're going to enjoy the process a bit more. You're going to get better results. So that makes a lot of sense. So let's talk a bit, a bit about the work you do. Um, I know you work, well, I think you work, do some one-on-one stuff. You do some uh, workplace stuff, which I think is really fucking important. Um, in today's world with just such go, go, go demands on it, on all of us, um, the workplace is a really good place to kind of have a big impact. So um, yeah, talk to us about the work that you do and, and what's on offer and we'll, we'll dive into that a bit. Now, I, I pretty much offer a pretty wide scope. So I offer um, an in-person group scenario. So I know, you know, do groups between like three to sort of eight people where I teach them through it. It's a three day course of so two hours a day for three days. And that is known as a Vedic technique so you get your own personal mantra and i teach you the practicalities and philosophy and um talk about neuroscience and stress release i also do private so one-on-ones i pretty much do anywhere anytime so if you're like hey i'm living in even though as soon as the the borders open again i'm living in melbourne i'll do a one-on-one course i'll come and teach you i sort of the private ones i can do anytime anywhere and we can also weave in specifics so it's like you might be a couple and be like, oh, we want to work on this. And I can weave in certain knowledge to, to support that. Uh, then I also have the online stuff. And obviously now, like, you got to have that. So now I teach an online group course, which is like a four-week course, which is a meditation and mindset course where you get a slightly different level of mantras to choose from. And I weave in a lot more stuff around sort of the positive mindset and working with alignment of values and meaning and purpose. And, and that is a holistic sort of program. And then also I can do one-on-one in a similar format, one-on-one privates with that. And then, of course, there's the corporate, which I quite enjoy. So uh, corporate, again, I kind of create a bit bespoke, whether it's I come in to do a two-day, you know, workshop, just meditation, whether I do a keynote um, talk or like just recently I worked with Red Bull. We had like a six-week program where I came in once a week on through video to do Zoom and did like a, a workshop around different topics and, and some meditation and played around and that kind of stuff. So I, try, I sort of kind of have this like cater to all bits of bits. I like to keep it diverse, you know. Mate, you got it sorted. So it's in the workplace front. Has there, do you get any pushback? Like, do you get any um, people who are stuck in the stigma who don't want to trial it or who do and just immediately go, no, nah, not for me? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, there's still, there's, there's a level of 
you know, the science is there in terms of the ROI on, on you know, bringing in um, practices like mental health and, uh, sorry, practices like, you know, meditation and, and, and things like that. And, but it's still interesting how, unless it's like the CEO or the GM or, you know, someone is really driving it, they'll look at money. They'd rather spend five grand on a boozy drinks, you know, buying cases of super dry and shitty food in a Friday afternoon. <laughs> they'll question, you know, a thousand dollar meditation workshop for a hundred staff. You know what I mean? It's, it's quite interesting that they, they're still, and part of that's, you know, stuck in still old ways of, of, of thinking. And, but if you're any kind of a forward thinker and interested in, you know, team coherence and interested in, performance and interested in saving your business money and absenteeism, presenteeism, you know, retention rates, you've got to be forward thinking and look at what some of the common threads are and they are working with things like mindfulness and meditation and positive psychology. So yeah, there's resistance, but I noticed that it's the forward thinking businesses and, and companies who are willing to invest in their, their staff that are like, yeah. And the ones who are still sort of back and behind uh, aren't and, you'll see that'll play out in terms of how their staff operates. So it's starting to change though, because it's becoming more normal. And I kind of like the idea of, I quite enjoy coming in and talking to people and really like kiboshing the stigma. Cause you'll see me, I'll walk in and I've got a bit of a rough mouth. I'm sure you've heard, like, I don't stop that. Like I just am and, you know, yeah. drop a few bombs and whatever. And it was like, who's this guy? I was expecting some old guy in a robe to come in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's part of the fun for me as well, you know? And so I just try to talk with, with businesses it's like well you know there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of research now going into you know financial bottom line mm. impacts of having a team that isn't stressed and collaborating together and and that kind of stuff so it's slowly shifting it's just i think it like- is i think it's definitely moving in that direction which is awesome to see like a lot of i mean even even just by way of the statistics around mental health issues and absenteeism and and physical health issues like those rates inc- increasing over time, despite all the advances in, you know, mm. um, what we've got access to and, and health and all that sort of stuff. So I think those stats alone are pretty telling um, as to what's needed in the, in society in general. And the workplace is a really good place to start. Um, we made a couple of jokes throughout about you know the stigma of. of uh, meditation and you being a, a great person to break that I think and you know um, I'm very much an infancy of my own journey but that's the the approach I like is kind of being really relatable and talking about really important conversations um, and really powerful tools and practices from a place that everyone can kind of um, get around I suppose so um, just to confirm then if you're gonna if you're gonna meditate and you're gonna and you're gonna dive into this world you are allowed to have a beer from time to time you I still have. Me. I'm a bit of a, I'm yeah. a Negro bourbon man, so. Okay, you're allowed to have coffee. Oh yeah, I love it. You can have you can have meat if you choose to eat meat. Yes, I had okay. sausages yesterday. <laughs> all right, cool. Just making just making sure. Um, all right, so then with some of the clients that you've that you've uh, worked with now, whether it's corporate or one-on-one or some of the group stuff that you do, what are some of the common themes around some major stresses that you see? that they either tell you or that you just kind of observe that um, that can kind of get in the way of not just these meditative practices, but in the way of a good life, which um, sort of draws them to the meditation in the first place. Like we've touched on social media. Like what are some of the, yeah, the big stresses in today's world that people um, fall victim to? 
So I mean, there's a lot on our plate at, at the moment. And so, you know, we, we're trying to balance, you know, we've got work life, relationships, making money, social life, you know, the social media, and then that all piles up, right? And then what we've also got in our, in our mind is trying to navigate all this to find a little moment of, of happiness in, in the world, right? And so what manifests over time and the most common things people come to me with, it's like, it's either it's around anxiety, it's overwhelming stress, it's the inability to calm their mind. They're like, my mind just doesn't stop and I can't switch off. I struggle with sleep. Um, there's a level of like, I'm not really overly like truly self-confident. There's a level of, you know, disconnect between my self-acceptance or what I maybe portray, um, being able to be clear and, and, and focused. And there's, there's some of the main things that people sort of come, uh, come to me with. And so that is, and by pure, you know, luck, coincidence, whatever it is, if someone was say to me, list off some of the top uh, benefits of meditation, they also have to be some of the, the main benefits of meditation. So it, it kind of naturally kind of ties in where, you know, if you just sit and close your eyes, they're the things that it's going to, it's going to work on. And the idea of stress is a perception. So stress isn't your boss being an arsehole. That is a potential stimulus and a potential stressor, depending on your perception. So what meditation also helps you to do is to see the world more for what it is and be less in that reactive state. And so when less things are seen as stressful to you, there might be a little bit less anxiety, a little bit less overwhelm, a little bit less worry. And so less stress is put on the body as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So shifting, you know, the lens of how we look out on, on, onto the world as well. And that just naturally starts shifting over, over time. And that's what I love. One of the best things about this practice I love is like you don't actually have to do anything really. You don't have to believe in it. You don't have to sit here and actively try and do anything. You know, it's not about clearing your mind and controlling thoughts because that's impossible. You know, thoughts are part of this practice. You literally, it's like mantra, thinking thoughts, thinking thoughts, smile, mantra, mantra, sleep, thinking thoughts. It's that state of flow that you get into that you want to um, uh, move into. And, and that's, that's what I love so much about it. Where it's like, it doesn't matter what religion you are, what you believe in. If you think it's absolute bullshit, whether it was just close your eyes and use the word and things start happening. (laughs) Mate, it's awesome. I think another real powerful um, benefit, I suppose, is the sense of clarity that you can get, right? So you mentioned earlier about the the parasympathetic nervous system and the um, sort of the rest and digest. Um, Another way to uh, talk about the parasympathetic nervous system, but I've, I've heard it referred to as well as the calm and creative state. And I think that is really telling as well to be able to actually take a minute out. And I, like I alluded to earlier, like I've, I've got goals. I know you probably do too. A lot of people listening will, um, and I'm all about pursuing them, but sometimes I just get stuck in this like ball of fucking unnecessary energy. I don't know. Right. And it's just, I can't think clearly. And, it's, and I, I, the little research I've done is I think what's actually happening is, the, the prefrontal cortex, which is kind of this new region of the brain, which is like for being calculating and, and thinking and, and emotions and things like that. Um, when your body's stuck in this stressful state is it's drawing all the blood uh, away from your prefrontal cortex because it's, it's essentially your nervous system going, okay, we need to fight or flight here. So we need blood to the muscles. And so with that blood flow taken away from the prefrontal cortex, it's almost by definition impossible to think clearly. And so I found that like, and again, far from perfect, but um, I found that 
like just when I meditate in the morning and when I don't, there's a big noticeable difference with how clearly I can think. Um, and paradoxically, the days I want to get going and do all this sort of stuff and I might skip my meditative practice, I'm kind of wasting hours throughout the day thinking, what, the, what am I supposed to be doing? Or what's the next best move and things like that. Do you know what I mean? Have you found that that's been, um, is, is that something that you noticed shifted for you and with the clients that you work with? Was there ability just to think clearly and then plan the next move? People now say, like, yeah, when I stop, I notice it. Like, it's just, you can see the difference. And mm. Neurologically, there's a few things going on. Like when you are in that stress response, you know, you're running from your amygdala, which is that fear center, right? Mm. And what happens there is you focus in on purely on threats. So what you're looking for is the negatives. Okay, that could happen, that could happen, that could happen, that could happen, blah, 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 blah. We're, we're jutting around and um, that, gets, that gets stronger, right? And our ability to think, you know, we could become reactive. You know, literally, you're right, the blood disappears and just goes to our arms and legs and it goes, moves away from all our vital organs, you know, when we pump cortisol in the system and adrenaline. So we're, we're, we're on that. It's very primal and reactive and impulsive and driven by emotion, right? Which is really uncontrollable. And when we meditate and meditate regularly, we strengthen the connection between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala and that connection strengthens and that strengthens our ability to think expansively. Um, you know, that executive way of, of looking at things, learn from our past mistakes and what actually what I actually see now is that the amygdala over time starts shrinking, right? Because you don't use it as much and it's, it becomes less powerful. So you're able to come to situations from a place of creativity and calm and expansiveness, as opposed to fixed focus on the threat, reactivity, judgment, anger, resentment, whatever it might be. And so it starts shifting the default mode of, of, mm. of, of how you, you, you operate, which is huge for any area. Yeah, like I said, default mode, I found, again, from my own journey, I know just talking to people, again, on, on and off this show, is um, some people, again, whether it's environmental factors, the way you raise, some genetics, like you're going to be wired a certain way as like a default mode. And I think the best thing about meditative practices and mindfulness is over time, you're reconditioning that default state. I know for me, my default state, it's a lot better now, um, but it generally is this like kind of, I guess heightened, like heightened arousal, like anxious. Um, and unless I'm channeling it the right way, it just plays out in some really nasty ways, like anxiety and, th and things like that. So that's something that I've noticed um, slowly but surely is that default state becoming a little bit more calm and creative, which not only does it feel good, which is, you know, should be all our goals in life. Um, but again, it's, it, it allows, allows me and these, these people that have shared the same thoughts to kind of approach the world from a better place and just get more done and do more and live a better life, you know, all that stuff. Yep. Yeah, no, it, 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 it literally over time, it just starts shifting where you, where you come from, you know, mm. and because when we're not, what you want to create is this, you know, just this unconscious to subconscious program, which is mm. constructive as opposed to of, you know, our default um, operating sort of system, I suppose is, you know, our conscious world and how we, you know, carry ourselves and respond to things is a manifestation of our, of our subconscious and the program we've created over, over, over time, right? And often that program isn't necessarily always that constructive, right? And the way we operate is most of our thoughts are pretty much the same as the day before, over 90%. 
and over 90 percent of what we do is just this you know unconscious program and so we want to start shifting what that is so when we're carrying ourselves in the day the new program is something that's more constructive and so that's what we're also doing and the beauty of you know neuroplasticity is that we can create new patterns and new new pathways and new ways of being and every time we meditate and awareness shifts and we pick up on a trigger and maybe we change we're strengthening a new muscle right to operate in a different way and it's just again it's consistency and integration and consistency that'll slowly start shifting your you know the operating system from here to here and then that becomes the new normal and then over time you continue it goes here and that integrates um and that's the beauty of of the process that you can go through i love that um couple more and then we'll find out how people can can connect with you in terms of breath work i know that gets talked about a lot in in meditative practices so what role does that play like is it um something to do with the diaphragm is it um like are there certain ways to breathe is depend on the kind of meditation that you're doing is that something that you highlight when you talk about um meditation is 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 how you're actually breathing so breath is huge and breathing so you know in terms of yoga which is a holistic practice which is the asanas and breathing and meditation actually incorporates everything you know the pranayama which is the breathing it's like a lot it's known as life force to administer life administer life force we literally <laughs> how do we stay alive a big part of it is breathing mm. but most of us there's a few reasons why we become we operate in you know the stress response <sighs> it's short chest breathing and also i noticed for me as well you know i was always walking around keep trying to suck in my abs you know so i don't breathe in my down in my, in my tummy i wouldn't want to push my tummy out breathing, you know, so that even that I was training myself. I'd be like, always walk around sucking the abs in. So I'm looking at the goods, chest breathing. So I'm also running off stress and, and anxiety. And if we're not breathing deep and, and properly and not allowing, you know, oxygen to get into our bloodstream and enough oxygen to get to our, to our brains, you know, that, you know, a deficit of, of oxygen in the, in the brain literally um, makes us, you know, in more indecisive, more reactive we're unable to think you know expansively but literally just from from breathing and so in meditation itself because the way i teach is non-directive you let the breath do its own thing but what i use breath for is sometimes as a state change so you can use like you can do a certain breathing technique which maybe is the diaphragm breathing or you know four by four breathing or two by four there's different types that can because the power of breath and all the wim hof stuff as well like if you've ever tried that sort of stuff, like I've got pins and needles and spasms in my body just from breathing. Like breath is so, so powerful. So it has its place in what I teach. I don't use it actively because I'm trying to, it's a different thing, but I'll sometimes use breath as a, a lead up into it, like to, to shift your state, to calm you as a runway into the meditation or something as a tool that you can have out in the day. It's one of the best ways to shift a state is to use breath work. So is it's it- pretty powerful. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the uh, the abs there from like tensing too much. I honestly think um, the more I've been exposed to this world, so um, without sounding like a dick, like I've I've got abs, like I've got I've got this athletic build, and I do work out, and um, you know I've been uh, played sports and been active as long as I can remember. But I reckon in large part it's because for as long as I can remember as well, I've been really hot, like highly strung funnily enough yeah and i reckon i reckon that is like carved out 
um, just purely from tension in my diaphragm, which, um, yeah, like it's, it's not a good thing. <laughs> mm, I, I noticed myself good. throughout the day, just like not breathing sometimes. Yeah. No, I, I hold my breath. I was getting a massage a while ago. And the guy was like, are you breathing? I'm like, oh shit, no. I was just like, I, I was thinking about something and I'd held my breath and I was tensing my, my stomach. Yeah. And even now I do belly breasts. I look down at my belly and I'm like, that doesn't look attractive. Because I look yeah. like, that's what I've created in my mind. It's like, look at this belly pushing out. And no one wants to see that. Yeah. It's like, it is. like it's, it's crazy what we're um, programmed to, to look at. And so, but it's not great for our health and our performance. No, not at all. And it just makes so much sense when you think about it. Like oxygen is literally our life force um, to survive. But even just for moments where it's, there's a deficit in the brain, it's, you can see how you start to feel like foggy and stressed and anxious and, and all those things. Um, mate, just before, yeah, uh, before we wrap up, just to go back to the top a bit about the, your, your style of meditation. So the Vedic style, um, so that is, that is like more mantra based. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So then what we had kind of uh, unraveling it, um, and doing the whole program now, is there like, how, how does one go about kind of working out what that mantra is? Could it, I think you alluded to it throughout the conversation. It can just be a sound. It could be a, um, like what's sort of the basic premise of, um, I guess, yeah, Vedic meditation. Yeah. So the mantras are something that a, a person who teaches this style has studied. So you don't choose your own mantra. It's okay. not like, oh, I want, I want to work on love and connection. So I choose a mantra that's designed for that. That's not how it works. Um, if you want to study, I mean, I'm sure you can Google them somewhere like everything and you can probably pick one and there, there might be some rough around meaning, but that kind of, it defeats the, the way they're meant to work. Yep. And so they're literally designed to have no meaning. So you're not worried about what they think or what it's going to happen to you or whatever it is. They're literally just a sound vibration. And you want to find a teacher who has studied the Vedic knowledge and studied the mantras who will know the right one to give you. Um, there's different sets of, of mantras and, and teachers who've studied it will know, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, will know what mantra to, to use. And it's not that simple. It's not like I don't sit here and look at your, you know, energy and read you and go, Oh, okay. This mantra comes to me. Like there's set, the set guidelines of stage of life and age that you give a mantra based on. So, um, that's how they, that's how they work. So you sort of, again, you, and you, you want to be ideally, you want to, go through and have someone teach you how to use it. Yeah. So then uh, I'm sure there's a number of people out there that can do that. You, of course, are one. <laughs> You're in Byron Bay, I believe. So um, people, if they want to connect with you, what's the best way to do so? I'm most active on Instagrams where I do most of my chatting and, and, and things like that. Or, and through there, you can go to my website or, or whatever it might be. So yeah. Um, do you want me to spell it out or what? yeah maybe do that i haven't got the tech savvy admin teams to do the little handles <laughs> up on the screen or anything like that just yet yeah, so yeah. spell it out and so people can connect with you yes yeah, so it has so it's at j-a-n-o-a-h-v-a-n-k-e-k-e-m so just my name janoa van keekum um is the handle and there can't be too many of them around <laughs> i don't think so mate well i appreciate you coming on the show um for a chat um, I think it was a success, the, the, the beta version of the video platform for the Brain Taming Podcast. So I appreciate you being the inaugural video guest, mate. Um, awesome conversation, like super, super important stuff. I mentioned it a couple of times, but it really is. And I think you're the perfect candidate to um, come on this show but, and to start championing this, 
this slow but sure movement towards becoming more mindful and using practices like meditation um, the way they should be used, you know, daily and for the right reasons. So it was a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, man, it's good chatting. Thanks again for listening to this episode. If you did enjoy it, if you got some sort of value from the episode, please do us a favor and subscribe to the channel. We've got lots more to come and share it with your friends and family. It all helps our mission of raising a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research. So please share the podcast and I look forward to sharing more with you on another episode.